Scrooge. Um, some of the finest eating on the planet. We're the most blessed people as far as I'm concerned. And you don't appreciate that until you try to eat stuff elsewhere. Go to the Northeast, no offense to Northeasterners. But your food just ain't very good, I'm sorry. Uh, having just good old Cajun food, man, of fried catfish and boiled crawfish and uh, shrimp and crab. Anybody hungry yet? Uh, my goodness. Ate all the etouffees and gumbos that we enjoy. Jesus said in the last days that there would be famines on this planet. In case you haven't noticed, the world is on the verge. If you listen to the news, if you listen to the news, you catch blurbs of this because they'll, they'll, they spit it out every once in a while and you can catch it on, on just regular news programming. But the world is on the verge of a horrific global food crisis. Listen to pastor. At some point, this crisis will affect you and your family. It may not be today and it may not be tomorrow, but it's going to happen. Crazy weather and horrifying natural disasters, such as I mentioned with the tsunami, have played havoc with agricultural production in many areas of the globe over the past several years. Meanwhile, price of oil goes up and down, up and down. The entire global economy is predicated on the ability to use massive amounts of inexpensive oil to cheaply pro, uh, produce food and other goods and trans, uh, transport them over vast distances. Without cheap oil, all of this economic game changes drastically. Somebody has to pay for the, trans, the transportation of all of the commodities around the world, especially food. When all prices go way up, what happens? The price of food goes way up because somebody has to pay that price. Global food prices are already at an all-time high and they continue to move up aggressively. So what's going to happen to our world when hundreds of millions of people um, can't afford to feed themselves anymore? Most Americans are so accustomed to supermarkets that are absolutely packed to the gills with massive amounts of really inexpensive food that we cannot even imagine that life could be any other way. But I'm here to tell you tonight, according to the scripture, according to signs that's going on around our world tonight, I don't want to be a doomsday prophet, but it's about to change. It's about to change. There are all kinds of indications that we are now entering a time when there will not be nearly enough food for everyone in the world. As competition for food supplies increases, food prices are going to go up. In fact, at some point, they're going to go way up. So I want to give you some reasons tonight, some key reasons why an increasing number of people believe that a massive food crisis is on the horizon for our planet. I'm going to give you 20 signs that a food crisis is coming. According to the World Bank, 44 million people around the globe has been pushed into extreme poverty since last June because of rising food prices. The world is losing topsoil at an astounding rate. In fact, according to Lester Brown, journalist for U.S. Foreign Policy, he said one-third of the world's cropland 
is losing topsoil faster than new top or new soil is farming through natural processes due to U.S. ethanol subsidies. Almost a third of all corn grown in the United States is now used for fuel, putting stress on the price of corn. Due to a lack of water, some countries in the Middle East find themselves forced to almost totally rely on other nations for basic food staples. For example, it has been projected that there will be no more wheat production in Saudi Arabia by the end of 2012. They will not be able to grow any wheat in that country because there's no water. Water tables all over the globe are being depleted at an alarming rate due to overpumping, according to the World Bank. There are 130 million people in China and 175 million people in India that is using water that is being pumped out of aquifers faster than it can be replaced. So what happens to all of those people when those aquifers have been drained dry? In the United States, uh, the systematic depletion of the, uh, if I'm pronouncing this right, Ogallala Aquifier, the Ogallala Aquifier, the world's largest underground body of fresh water, has irrigated thousands of square miles of American farmland. Now it's running dry and could eventually turn America's breadbasket back into the dust bowl before this aquifer was tapped. That's here in America. Diseases such as UG99 called wheat rust uh, is wiping out increasingly large segments of the world's food supply. The tsunami that I just mentioned and the subsequent nuclear crisis in Japan have rendered vast agricultural areas in that nation unstable. In fact, there are many that believe that eventually a significant portion of northern Japan will be considered uninhabitable. Not only that, many are now convinced that the Japanese economy, the third largest economy in the world, is likely to, total, is likely to totally collapse as a result of this tsunami that is so... Uh, just devastated their country. The price of oil may be the biggest factor on this list. The way that we produce our food is very heavily dependent on oil. The way that we transport our food is very heavily dependent on oil. When you have skyrocketing oil prices, our entire food production system becomes more expensive. If the price of oil continues to stay high, we're going to see much higher food prices and some forms of food production will no longer make economic sense at all. At some point, the world could experience a very serious fertilizer shortage. According to scientists with the Global Phosphorus Research Initiative, the world is not going to have enough phosphorus to meet agricultural demand in a short 30 to 40 years from now. Food inflation is already devastating many economies around the globe. For example, India is dealing with an annual food inflation rate of 18%. According to the United Nations, the global price of food has reached an all, a new all-time high this past February. According to the World Bank, the global price of food has risen 36% over the past 12 months globally. The commodity price of wheat has approximately doubled since last summer. The commodity price of corn has also about doubled since last summer. 
The commodity price of soybeans is up about 50% since last June. The commodity price of orange juice has doubled since 2009. This is not stuff that you can just ignore and hope it goes away. I'm telling you folks, I'm, I'm pleading with you to understand. If you're playing church, if you're playing games with God, you're really, excuse my expression, but you're really rolling the dice here, man. It's time to get in the book. It's time to get plugged in and to reach everybody you can to save them from what's coming to this planet. There are about three billion people. Listen to pastor tonight. There are about three billion people. This is almost half of our world's population. There's about three billion people around the globe that live on the equivalent of $2 a day or less. And the world was all, is already on the verge of an economic disaster even before this year began. We don't feel that here in Central. But I'm talking about global signs of the end time. It's going on globally. It's a sign of the end time whether you're feeling the effects of it directly or not. I believe we're going to here before it's all over with. 2011 has already been one of the craziest years since World War II. Revolutions have swept across the Middle East. The United States has gotten involved in the Civil War in Libya. Europe is on the verge of a financial meltdown, and the U.S. dollar is dying every day. None of this is good news for global food production. There have been persistent rumors of shortages at some of the biggest suppliers of emergency food in the United States. I'm going to say that again. There's been persistent rumors of shortages at some of the biggest suppliers of emergency food in the United States. There are shortages in our emergency food banks. The following is an excerpt from a recent special alert posted on Raiders News Network. Look around you. Read the headline. See the largest factories of food, potassium iodide, and other emergency product manufacturers literally closing their online stores and putting up signs like those on Mountain House's official website and ThyroSafe's factory webpage that explain, due to overwhelming demand, they're shutting down sales for the time being and hope to reopen someday. These are our emergency food suppliers. So what does all this mean? It means that time is short. For many years, many doom and gloomers have been yelling and screaming that a food crisis has come into this planet. Well, up to this point, there hasn't been much to get alarmed about. Food prices have started to rise, but the truth is, is that our stores are still packed to the rafters with gigantic amounts of relatively cheap food. However, you cannot afford not to see the warning signs. Just look at what happened in Japan after March 11. Store shelves were cleared out almost instantly. It isn't going to happen today, probably. It's probably not going to happen tomorrow. But at some point, a major league food crisis is coming to our world. So what are you and your family going to do then? I'm here to tell you we're living in the last days. I want to shift gears just a little bit. I just used those several illustrations that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 about global signs of the end time, but... I want to shift gears just a little bit. Paul said 
in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. I'm going to show you a video clip in just a few moments to verify what I'm about to say. 48%, 48% of Americans believe that another Great Depression is likely in the next 12 months. And I'm going to give you 19 reasons why they're not out of their mind by thinking that. Do you believe that the U.S. economy is steamrolling towards a depression? If you do, you're not alone. According to a recent CNN poll, 48% of Americans believe that another Great Depression is likely within the next 12 months. Americans have been waiting for almost three years for recovery to materialize, but instead there are all kinds of signs that the economy is about to get worse yet again. I want to mention God spoke through the gifts of the Spirit in our, our Wednesday night prayer meeting last week and said that people are going to come to us. Doesn't mean we're great or special, but people that does not know God, that don't have the hope that we have, the faith that we have in the Word of God, they're going to, come to, they're going to start coming to Christian people saying, hey, we need some answers. Our world is falling apart, and that's why they're going to come. They need some hope. They need somebody to speak some hope into their lives. I'm asking us as Pentecostal people, would you please get your head out of the sand and wake up to the people that are around you? There's people that 10 years ago had their retirement securely in place. It's all planned. Their retirement date is set. Now they don't know when they'll retire. They're scared to retire. They're also scared to work because tomorrow the job may be over. It's that critical in our country. If you're not listening to the news, you need to listen to it. You don't have to believe all of it because I don't either. But there's enough of what's being said to tell us that times as we now know in America are about to change. You can throw up your wall if you want. It does not negate the truth of the word of God. I heard just yesterday that the bailout packages uh, that uh, President Obama initiated early on when he was in office, I think he did two major bailout packages, have done nothing for our economy. It, it was a total waste of money, and now there's no more to fall back on. There's no other resources. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. Inflation is rising, but wages are not. And there are millions of Americans that would do just about anything to get a decent job. The misery index in our country is the highest it's been in almost 30 years. All of the recent polls show that the American people are more pessimistic about the economy than at any other time in recent memory. The world financial markets are incredibly unstable right now, and many analysts are expecting a repeat of 2008 or even worse. Meanwhile, our state and local governments are drowning in debt. I told you about... The little, the little town in Rhode Island that has gone bankrupt, and it's just the beginning. The federal government is drowning in debt, and governments all over Europe are drowning in debt. So no, it's not crazy for 48% of Americans to believe that we're about to go into another Great Depression. Just think about that statistic for a moment. Nearly half, nearly half of our country expects the economy to fall to pieces at some point in the next year. Do I agree with them? 
I certainly believe that an economic collapse is coming. It has to for a world bank to be established, for world government to be established, and so on. I don't know that it'll happen in the next 12 months, as a lot of Americans feel, feel like it could, but it could. The more I hear on the news, the more I'm becoming a believer. Folks, I don't know what we're going to do with, uh, what is it, $14 trillion worth of debt just in our country alone? That's a lot of money. Uh, some of us have a hard time relating to thousands of dollars and millions and billions, tri trillion, 14 of them is our debt. I believe there's a shadow government behind these things. We may talk about that in the future. We'll see. There are so many variables. It's so hard to predict with certainty the exact timing of how things will play out. However, it is true that incredibly painful economic times are coming. Our long-term economic future looks unbelievably bleak. So anyone that believes that we're headed for another Great Depression is certainly not crazy. And I'm going to give you 19 reasons why. 48% of our country thinks we're headed for a depression. Number one, today 25 million Americans, 25 million Americans are either unemployed or underemployed. Six million of those have been out of work for at least six months or more. The average duration of unemployment in the United States right now is over 40 weeks. It's almost a year now, on average. The, the unofficial misery index, which is calculated by combining unemployment and inflation, is now at a 28-year high. Sadly, if unemployment and inflation over were calculated the same way that they were back in the 1970s, the misery index would exactly would uh, exactly be much, much higher. According to John Williams of Shadow Government Statistics, the current real rate of inflation right now in our country is about 11.2% instead of the 3.6% figure that the U.S. government wants us to believe. Greece is on the verge of complete and total financial collapse. The yield on two-year Greek bonds is up to 28%. The European Central Bank and the German Bank have been fighting over what to do to solve the Greek crisis. The truth is that without a bailout, the Greek government will default. If Greece defaults, it will be a huge nightmare for world financial markets. Neil McKinnon, an analyst for VTB Capital, is warning that a Greek implosion could set off a 2008-style financial crisis. Spain is also potentially a major problem. The Spanish economy is more than twice the size of the Greek, Irish, and Portuguese economies combined. Over the past 12 months, the yield on 10-year Spanish bonds has been rising steadily, and many believe that Spain could be, tipping, uh, could be the tipping point that pushes the, the sovereign debt crisis in Europe over the edge. State and local governments all over the United States are cutting their budgets and are implementing brutal austerity measures. For example, one small town in Alabama has actually decided that they are just simply going to stop paying pension benefits to their retirees. They can't afford it. There's just no more money. Uh, in other areas, teachers and police officers are being fired in massive numbers. UBS Investment Research is projecting that state and local governments in the U.S. will combine to slash a whopping 450,000 jobs by the end of next year. The middle class in the United States is being systematically ripped to shreds. 
The poorest 50% of all Americans collectively own just 2.5% of all the wealth in the United States at this point. It's never a good sign when the big Wall Street banks start laying off workers. CNBC is reporting that Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and many other big firms on Wall Street are planning some large staff reductions in the months ahead. This is a very bad sign for the economy. Things have gotten so bad that some mainstream media outlets are actually encouraging Americans to go out and start racking up credit card debt once again. For example, one recent USA Today article was actually entitled, More Credit Card Debt Might Be Good for the Economy. I don't really understand that, but... Of course, the big banks are ready to suck the lifeblood out of anyone that does slip up on making their credit card payments. One major bank has announced that a single late payment could result in a penalty rate as high as 29.99% interest on, for defaulting on your payment on their credit card. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the share of national income being taken home by American workers is at a post-war low and is rapidly declining. Reuters is reporting that many of Wall Street's biggest banks plan to cut their use of U.S. Treasury starting in, in August. That is this month. China has already been dumping short-term U.S. debt, but if most of the big players abandon the market, who's going to buy up the massive amounts of debt that the U.S. government needs to issue? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if you folks are keeping up with our, our financial situation here in our own country. We're in trouble. I don't know how any, I don't know any other way to say it. The United States of America is in trouble. And for whatever reason, you can believe what you want to believe, but particularly our last two presidents has spent us into an incredible amount of debt, and it seems to be almost deliberate. It's, it's almost like there's something working behind the scenes that's wanting to bring down this country. Um, you can be a naysayer, but I really don't have any other answers about it. Uh, Dean Baker of the uh, Center for Economic and Policy Research apparently believes that we're already in a depression. He said at some point the pain of high unemployment may lead to some new thinking in Washington, but until that time, welcome to the second great depression. The U.S. banking system could plunge into the disaster at any moment. The FDIC, who insures federal dollars and essentially your money that you put in the bank, it's a, a federally funded insurance company, is backing up $7 trillion. They're backing up insuring $7 trillion in deposits with an insurance fund that virtually has nothing in it. So if it collapses, there's nothing to fall back on. It seems like almost everyone is talking about the next financial collapse. Renowned investor Jim Rogers recently said the following. I would expect to see some serious problems in the foreseeable future. By 2011, 2012, 13, 14, he said, I don't know when, but we're going to have an economic slowdown again. Legendary hedge fund uh, manager uh, Mark Mobius is bracing for the worst. Just consider the following quote from Mobius that recently appeared in Forbes magazine. He said, there is definitely going to be another financial crisis around the corner, says hedge fund legend Mark Mobius, because we haven't solved any of the things that caused the previous crisis. Between 2007 and 2010, U.S. GDP 
uh, grew by only 4.26%, but the U.S. national debt soared by 61% during the same period. It is clearly unsustainable for our debt to be growing so much faster than our economy is. Peter Yastro, a market strategist for Yastro Arriger, said, uh, recently told CNBC, CNBC the following, interest rates are amazingly low in debt thanks to Ben Bernanke, uh, is, is driving everything. Gastro said we're on the verge of a great, great depression. The Federal Reserve knows it. The last reason that 48% of Americans believe we're headed for a great depression, the American people are so extremely pessimistic about the economy right now. According to one recent poll, 56% of Americans have lost sleep due to the economy, and about three-quarters or 75% of Americans believe that the nation is on the wrong track. The nation is in a very sour mood right now, and this is causing even many in the mainstream media to ask some very hard questions. For example, Jack Cafferty recently asked the following question to viewers on CNN. He said, what are the chances the U.S. economy could eventually trigger violence in our country? I want you to watch this video clip. Jack Cafferty's here with the Cafferty file. Jack. For the first time since maybe the Vietnam War, certainly since the Civil Rights Movement, there are some darkening storm clouds on the civility horizon in this country. A growing number of voices are continuing to suggest that if our economy doesn't turn around and people can't start feeling optimistic about their futures again, we could be headed for some ugly scenarios. A new CNN poll suggests 48% of Americans think the country is headed for another Great Depression in the next 12 months. That is a stunning number. James Carville, who in 1992 told Bill Clinton, quote, it's the economy, stupid, says the current economy is so bad, there's a heightened risk of civil unrest. And unless things begin changing for the better, it's a distinct possibility. Our country's bankrupt. Our government refuses to do anything about that. Unemployment stuck above 9%. Millions of Americans are out of work, some of them for a number of years now. The value of people's homes is sinking below the break-even line. In the most recent jobs report last Friday, more than half of the private sector jobs added were at McDonald's. For the young people coming out of this nation's colleges and universities, their families having invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in their education, their outlook is grim. Add in the early record-breaking heat in the big cities in the East, we might not even have to wait until 2012. It could become a long, hot, ugly summer. Here is the question. What are the chances the U.S. economy could eventually trigger violence in our country? Go to CNN.com slash Cafferty File and post a comment on my blog. Wolf? Tough stuff. Uh, tough stuff indeed. All right, Jack. Thank you. So let's go to Jack. He's got the Cafferty File. Jack? The question this hour is what are the chances that the U.S. economy could eventually trigger violence in our country. A lot of people seem to think that's a possibility. John Rice, the chances are getting better every day. Deficit spending, uncontrolled illegal immigration, sky-high unemployment, billions being sent to countries that hate us, out-of-touch government, and the list goes on. It won't be long, Jack. The people will revolt. Mark in Oklahoma writes, Obama better forget about that money pit called Iraq, Afghanistan. Start focusing on getting those public works jobs that he promised, or he's going to need those troops over here to maintain order in our streets. People are only going to put up with the economic incompetence of this administration for so long. Wilhelm writes, <clears throat> pardon me, did the, uh, did the concentration of wealth among the aristocracy trigger violence during the French Revolution? How about the Russian Revolution? 
or Germany in the 1930s. So yes, if it gets to the point where the average working American feels totally hopeless and can't feed his family, it could lead to violence. It happened more than people know during the Great Depression. Michelle in Delaware writes, if the price of gas, groceries, and necessary items don't come down soon, and if people can't get jobs to support their families, then violence is definitely a possibility. We are a crumbling nation. Our politicians should spend a month living on our wages, have to pay for groceries, gas, and pay the bills on our salaries and not theirs. They have no idea what we working class citizens have to go through on a daily basis. Ralph in Texas writes, it already has triggered violence. I curse out loud and slam the dashboard every time I see gas prices go up. And Bull writes, I'm 70 years old, Jack, and I fully think that I will see violence in this country before I'm gone. And it won't only be the economy that causes it. Just look at what's going on along our borders. The American people have had enough. Mark my words. If you want to read more on this, it's uh, kind of scary, actually. But a lot of people are, uh, are suggesting that violence is a possibility at some point if things don't turn around. Did, Go to my blog, CNN.com slash Cafferty File. Well, did you get a lot of uh, feedback on this uh, question, Jack? Yes, a lot. And uh, people are frustrated, they're angry, they're, they're disgusted with our government and the fact that they feel that, uh, that they don't have a voice in Washington anymore, that it's all controlled by the big corporations. Uh, you know, we've got this uh, debt ceiling thing coming, we've got uh, a national debt of $14 trillion, the government does uh, kabuki theater, but nothing happens. Uh, people are very frustrated and, and they're getting angry. So you can see that these things are now making it to our mainstream media. Uh, uh, I want to report a couple of things to you. Uh, in a recent USA Today article, it describes some of the most recent mob robberies that have been happening in Chicago. A Chicago Tribune report tells of a 68-year-old man from Washington State who was set upon while he was smoking a cigar on a bench when you surrounded him, attacked him, and reportedly stole a phone and an iPad. The report says a 42-year-old Japanese tourist also was beaten and robbed on a bicycle path by the lakefront. The paper says seven were arrested, but that the group participating in the felonies have est was estimated between 15 to 20 strong. Uh, one 20-something uh, suburbanite told Chicago's YGN TV that he was hit so hard in the head with a baseball that it knocked his motorcycle helmet off. He managed to fight his way out of trouble, held police. He said, when people don't have hope, they begin to get desperate. There are millions of other Americans that are suffering through this economy quietly. There are so many uh, people out there that have worked hard and have followed all the rules, yet now find themselves struggling just to survive. For example, a reader named Carolyn recently left a comment in which she shared her uh, story. She said, my husband lost his long-term job in 2009 due to budget cuts. Don't worry, I said, I'm still working and we have a year of our salary and savings. You're smart, you're educated, you're a hard worker, you'll find a job soon. Two months later, my long-term job was sent to India. I still wasn't worried. I'm smart, I'm educated, and I'm a smart worker. A year and a half later, I haven't found a new career yet. I'm 50, no one is going to hire me. I'm working at a Home Depot at a 79% pay cut from my prior position. But it, isn't, but it doesn't pay for anything. My husband found a new position in his field at a 62% pay cut from his prior position. We've lived off of unemployment and our savings until both have run out. 
We put our house and our investment property on the market the day after I lost my job. We haven't had one offer. We just had our seven, chapter seven bankruptcy discharged. Our foreclosure is still pending. No word yet when it will be done. To add insult to injury, we owe federal income taxes on the penalties we use to make withdrawals from our 401k to live off of it. My husband still took a job in another state and we're shocked to learn what we owed. New York state taxes on the income he earned in Mississippi to New York state. Apparently this is some loophole that if you're a property owner in New York but earn income in another state, you have to pay New York state income taxes out, on, out of that state income uh, earned income. We've uh, been told once our foreclosure is finalized, we may owe taxes on that as well. And she asked, what has happened to our country? So it is sad to see what's happening right here in America. Things are so hard for so many Americans, um, millions of Americans right now, to, to try to find a way out of it, to try to find any hope at all. But the truth is, is um, there is hope. And I believe, I still believe that his name is Jesus. And somehow I believe that God is going to provide for his people. So what is America going to look like when there is now no doubt that the economy, or, or when there is no doubt that the economy has collapsed and people have no hope at all? I want to spend just a couple of more moments, and I'm not trying to, to bore you with this, I think our, our kids and our young people in here tonight has been exceptional, and I applaud you. But if you'll give me about five or six more minutes, I'll wrap this up. I'm just trying to show you, I'm trying to prove to you, not in Scripture, but just with things that has been documented in, in reputable sources that we're living in the last days. We don't have much time. I believe the rapture is imminent. I think you need to start planning more for the rapture than you are your retirement. Don't quit planning for your retirement, but I think you ought to make the rapture a priority over your retirement. Finally, Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 6, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. The Middle East at present, they call it the Arab Spring. It, it literally means the Arabic rebellions or the Arab revolutions. It is a revolutionary wave of demonstrations and protests that have been taking place in the Arab world since December 18, 2010. Prior to this period, Sudan was the only Arab country to have successfully overthrown dictatorial regimes in 1964 and then and again in 1985. I want you to understand that. Prior to December 18th, 2010, Sudan was the only Arab country to ever successfully overthrow a dictator, and they did it twice, and once in 1964 and again in 1965. To date, there's been revolutions in Tunisia and Egypt, a civil war in Egypt, civil uprisings in Bahrain, Syria, and Yemen, major protests in Algeria, Iraq, Jordan, Morocco, and Oman, as well as on the borders of Israel and minor protests in Kuwait, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, and the Western Sahara. The protests have shared techniques of civil resistance and sustained campaigns involving strikes, demonstrations, marches, rallies, as well 
as the use of social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube to organize, communicate, and to raise awareness in the face of state attempts at repression and internet censorship. Many demonstrations have also met violent responses from authorities as well as uh, from pro-government militias and counter-demonstrators. Uh, the slogan of the demonstrators in the Arab world has been, the people want to bring down the regime. Look at how many Arab countries have overthrown their dictator since 2010 compared to prior to that, only one country had done it twice. Jesus said in the last days there would be wars and rumors of wars. And then finally, Jesus said in Luke 21 to Jerusalem, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Once the above-mentioned revolutions are through, and most likely the government will either be Islamist or else be friendly, non-hostile towards Islamist people. When all of the Arab revolutions are finished, you can be rest assured they're going to be controlled by Muslim governments or Muslim-friendly governments. This is a united effort. This is a united effort to finally get all of those Arab countries on the same page, team up against the nation of Israel, and literally push them into the Mediterranean Sea. That's what's going on in the Middle East right now. It's not a fluke, folks. It's not just a coincidence. We're seeing the clock of the last days tick closer and closer to midnight. You can watch it every day on the news. You can read it every day in the newspaper. These states, whose former governments were wisely cowed by Israel's military superiority, will either wage proxy war, they'll support terrorist actions and so on, or an outright war on Israel, as they have already declared and seem to be already trying to begin. This will happen either immediately or when the hopeless lack of administrative skill and the leadership causes the regimes to fail uh, quickly, whereupon they will go to the usual, it's the Jews' fault route, and use them as the booger man, if you will, to deflect public anger uh, and to support their efforts to get rid of the Jewish people. It might even be due to UN involvement that has now begun to side against Israel, especially since our president, has become the most least supportive president towards Israel that we have ever had. Now that the UN and particularly the Arab governments around in the Middle East understand that the United States will probably not come to Israel's defense, it will make them a more vulnerable target. When this happens, Israel will stand alone due to the UN's bias and America's non-involvement this is especially if Obama is still president at that time. He has a well-known and overt anti-Israel streak and won't be assisting Israel anytime soon. We all know in May 2011, just a couple of months ago, uh, Obama's fervent demands that Israel return 
to their 1967 borders, while by contrast hoping only vague issues at the, at the Palestinians. This would split Jerusalem back into east and west halves, and the west half would be under Israeli control. The Bible said in Zechariah chapter 14, and I'm concluding with this verse. The Bible said in Zechariah 14 verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord shall go forth, fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. So, if I were to ask you tonight, do you believe we're living in the last days? I wonder how many would be willing to give a show of hands. I'm happy to know that I do pastor a church that believes that we're living in the last days. My question is now what are we going to do about it? I want to say tonight, and this is not an attaboy and pat yourself on the back moment by any way, shape, or form. I don't have time for that, neither do you. But recently I've come to the pulpit when God has afforded me opportunities to preach in this pulpit. And I've preached my heart out. I've preached my guts out. That's why I ask you to pray. That's why I ask you to go on the 21-day Daniel's fast. That's why I ask you to come to prayer meeting. When we've reached the point where our jobs and the little league teams that our kids are playing on and we have to run to Walmart and to the mall and when that has become our priority over our spirituality, our very near future, and our eternity, then we as a church have grossly, we grossly have our priorities mixed up. I want to say very strongly here tonight in conclusion, and I'm putting my heart right out here on the pulpit, if you have animosity towards people, you're bitter towards people, if that's thwarting your relationship with God, if you have family issues that's holding you back spiritually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead with you tonight over the next several days, please put that on the altar. There's a greater priority for you to be concerned about right now. Our priority is not what's happened in our past. Our priority is what's about to happen in our future. I'm going to tell you, folks, you fix it. You're, you're going to find out here pretty soon what faith in God is all about, and I hope we can sustain our faith because we're going to need a lot of it. We're secure right now. There's people here tonight that just, Brother Murphy, I don't believe that. Somehow the government's going to fix it. The government's reaching a point now where it can't fix anything. It can't fix itself, much less anything else. And you still hear the anti-Jewish rhetoric in our world today, and you very now prolifically hear the anti-God rhetoric. We just, we have to work this out. This is why I was so impressed when I mentioned to you a couple of services ago that the governor of Texas, Rick Perry, called on all the ministers statewide in, in Texas to assemble your churches and pray for rain in Texas. They've been in a serious drought. They're in trouble. Texas is in trouble uh, as far as the drought is concerned. And the governor is calling on people to pray that God would send rain to that great state. This is where we're at. This is where we're at. And I know a lot of these global signs are not on your back doorstep, but they're happening on this planet. 
And it does not mean because it's not on your back doorstep that we're not living in the last days. I'm going to ask you folks, I'm going to appeal to you folks to look. We all know that the world has a lot of fun things to do. And a lot of those things can be a huge distraction and even a sin when it comes to your relationship with God. That shouldn't be your priority right now to see how much fun you can have out there somewhere. Our priority is to bury our face in an altar somewhere and say, God, plug me in like I've never been plugged in before. Look, I've been born and raised on prophecy. I've heard the best. All of my life, I feel like I've heard the best prophecy teachers I've ever heard walk in shoe leather. Uh, I've heard most of the great ones. But I'm telling you folks, just a little bit that I've shared with you out of my new and dear iPad, uh, the little bit that I have shared with you is only a tip of the iceberg of what I've studied. If you knew what was coming to you, to your family, and to your kids, we would change our priorities. And this building would be packed just like it is now. It's not packed, but it's full when it comes to prayer meeting time. You don't have a greater priority than your spirituality and your future with the Lord Jesus Christ. You do not have a greater priority than that. But here's the beauty of it. Here, go ahead. Go ahead. Clap your hands to that. But here's the beauty of it. When you make Jesus your priority, not only do you get the eternal security and the eternal hope part of the, the thing, but all of your worldly stuff will work out. All your domestic stuff will work out. He promised that it would if you seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. So you're not going to lose anything. You're not going to, you're not going to give up to anything that God's not going to replace with something better. I'm asking our parents. I'm pleading with our parents, especially when you still have kids at home and they're under your authority, they're under your wisdom, they're under your guidance. Please lead them Godward like you have never led them before. Jesus and a relationship with Jesus is going to be the only thing that will take them out of this planet when trouble comes. And I would certainly hate to be the parent that's negligent, that's bitter over something that happened 20 years ago. I'd hate to be that parent when rapture time comes and you see what you missed and how easily it could have been yours. It's just a change of attitude and it's a change of priority. It's all you got to do. If you'll change your attitude and change your priorities, God will take care of the rest. Would you stand with me tonight? I'm going to ask you, tonight I'm burdened, I'm heavy. Tonight with this material, it was impacting me this past Sunday. Uh, I hope it will continue to make an impact. Folks, this is what's going on pre-rapture. We ain't even got to the stuff post-rapture. I'm not even sure some of you even want to hear it, what's going to come after post-rapture. Did you know one of the judgments in the book of Revelation is that one-third of the population of this planet is going to be wiped out? One-third of this, you understand that? It's over two, million, two billion people that's going to be wiped out. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. And I can't imagine what kind of parent that really don't cares if your kids are here or not. We need to pray. I'm going to ask you tonight if you feel comfortable to do it, if you feel like it's appropriate. Take the hand of the person next to you. And I'd like for us to do about three or four minutes of real serious praying right now for our church, for our community, 
for our families, for our future. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you tonight passionate, full of faith. We come tonight full of belief in the word of God. I believe.